Welcome to the Voices of Young People podcast brought to you by Springtide Research Institute. In each episode, we hear directly from young people as they respond to our research and share about the issues impacting their lives. As sociologists and researchers, we see a new story unfolding for young people, one that moves beyond traditional institutional boundaries and requires careful attention to the inner and outer lives of emerging generations. At the intersection of being and becoming, it's the voices of young people. Hello and welcome back to season seven. I'm Marta Abawaji, the head of community engagement at Springtide, and I'm so pleased to bring you another episode in our mental health and Gen Z series. Today's conversation has two young people who both happen to be Springtide ambassadors. They're a part of our SAP program, which you can learn more about on our website. We have Mercer coming to us from North Carolina, Grace coming from Massachusetts. They're both high school students and they're going to share more about where they get messages about mental health and what they really hope uh, different trusted adults will do to just normalize conversations about about mental well-being and they have a lot of great insights to share so let's hear from grace first yeah of course uh like i said my name is grace i'm 16 years old i'm a junior in high school um my pronouns are she her um i go to the cambridge matmon school um probably my most prevalent interest would be in like mental health i also really like to write so like psychology and journalism and are things I'm really interested. And I've also recently gotten into the hobby of like doing drama at my school. That's been really fun for me. I love that. We have several SAP members who are involved in some aspect of drama. Some is on stage, some is doing behind scenes work. But the fact that you also are passionate about mental health has been really fun to learn about you because you have done like major school projects where you you've dove into research and understanding and um, best practices really for young people's mental health. So that's going to be really fascinating to have in today's conversation. Mercer, what about you? Yes. Hello. My name is Mercer. My pronouns are she, her. I'm 17 years old, a junior in high school. And I'm from North Carolina. Um, I really enjoy dancing, hiking, any kind of activity. Snowboarding has been one of my recent new passions. And I really enjoy listening to music and creating all kinds of playlists and things like that. Awesome. Yeah, music gets mentioned in a lot of these conversations, even as just a practice that helps guide young people's, you know, mental health space, um, cultivating, like getting into the right headspace, but also, um, all the outdoor stuff you do, I know ends up being, um, a big driver just for young people having like movement and space to, to get things from their head expressed out into their body or their head, their heart, however you want to interpret mental health, um, which I guess is a good starting place to know mm -hmm. in a few words, how, how do you two think of mental health? Like when you hear that phrase, what comes to mind? So oftentimes I kind of parallel mental health with like physical health. So all the things that you would do to maintain your physical health, you should also do to maintain your mental health. 
so kind of the emotional, social, psychological maintenance of good habits that support your mental health, which also requires, you know, observation and kind of tracking all of those things so that you stay healthy in your mind, I guess. Yeah, that's really helpful, Mercer. What would you say, Grace? Yeah, I agree a lot with what Mercer said. I also just like for a long time, I guess when I was younger, especially, and even just in like recent years, I used to only think of the phrase mental health when you're talking about mental illness, like diagnosed mental illness. And I never thought of it as like something that everyone has mm. um, and just your general emotional well-being. So I guess my perspective kind of changed on that after learning more about it. But yeah, yeah. I definitely agree with Mr. It goes hand in hand with kind of all your other aspects of your life and how much you're taking care of them. Mm, well said, well said. And I think to your point, I think that's why this conversation with Gen Z is so important because I think you all are helping destigmatize mental health in a lot of ways where um, previous generations have often seen it only as mental illness, like you said, Grace, instead of seeing it as just mental well-being that every person um, can find different ways to maintain, as as Mercer was alluding to. Um, and so in that vein, where do you get messages about mental health? I feel like I've learned a lot recently, or I feel like it's discussed a lot more now on social media, even just in small ways, or like, I guess like, it's more common nowadays on social media for people to talk about their own mental health. Mm. Um, and also, I get messages in my school from time to time. Kind of, my school's very good at um, letting people know what resources they have available if they need it, um, like nurses and guidance counselors. And it's kind of like small doses. They'll do like um, advice on how to take care of your mental health and things like that. Yeah, I agree. Um... As far as the media aspect goes, for me, I feel like with technology now, there's a very specific algorithm that you're exposed to and that is like created. So for me, I feel like I'm only seeing a very specific, um, I guess, realm of things that are out there. So I feel, and I know a lot of people probably feel too, that they're only seeing the good parts of people's lives. And so I think that the media can kind of be very helpful in that a lot of people are talking about their mental health and stuff like that, but it can also be very toxic in that like you're only seeing the good parts sometimes. Um, and rarely do you see when it's bad. Um, as far as my school goes, it's not at my school. It's not very talked about like mental health. It's not like pushed away and sh like, shut out completely but I feel like my school has kind of like feels indifferent I guess hmm. if that makes yeah. sense no that, do, that does make sense so given what you just said Mercer um is there someone that you feel like if you were worried about your own mental health or a friend's 
that you would turn to? It doesn't have to be at school. Um, just, just in different realms of life, who would that be? Um, personally, I would probably go to friends, um, just because, you know, our generation, it is talked about a little bit more. So there is a generational disconnect. So I feel more comfortable going to my friends that are my age, as opposed to like a parent or a teacher or something like that. Yeah, I hear that. Grace, you mentioned that your school, um, you know, references nurses and counselors. Is that who you would turn to? Um, or is there someone else beyond those? Um, I would say definitely like when those are my options, then I'm comfortable going to them, but not really in a way that I would open up to them. And that's honestly just because like they work at my school. <laughs> um, I would say the person I am most comfortable turning to would probably be my parents, especially my mom, because my mom has been really open with me about her mental health. Um, and her struggling with anxiety and things like that. And whenever I would tell her about it, she's given me like so many options and ways to help me. And she's never made me feel bad about it. Um, so I guess that's what made me feel most comfortable going to her with things like that. Yeah. The fact that she's modeling, here's my own journey and experience. And here's the way that I've maybe leaned into different supports um, whether those are practices she does or whether that's professional support. Um, I think our research shows that a lot, even, even before our mental health series, our research shows how much a trusted adult being authentic and, and being vulnerable to share their own experience that that yields a lot of trust, um, mm -hmm. with, with young people where it doesn't just feel like, oh, I guess the adults have their lives together and everything's figured out and smooth. But when adults can say, hey, here's here's where I've maybe had a challenge or here's something I've struggled with and here's how I've um, addressed it or here's how I'm presently addressing it, um, that that mm -hmm. can go a long way for young people feeling like it's, it's a relationship where they can be real as well. I think I can add something to that as far as like school goes. Um, so I will say that like although my school sometimes does feel indifferent to mental health I did have like one teacher and specifically like specifically not in specifically I had one teacher specifically that like I very much remember and like stands out to me as like someone I can go to or count on and that is because that teacher like made a conscious effort with all students to create a space and time for us to kind of open up and share things about our lives that wouldn't normally be talked about just in the classroom. And like we did these things called SEL check-ins every day and it stands for social emotional learning. And this teacher, you know, we would just talk about random things that, you know, whatever we wanted to or whatever the prompt was for the day, like, do you cut your sandwiches diagonally or straight down? Or we would create a jam board with all of our favorite music. And I think that when you know, administration or like leaders or people who are like in control, create a conscious effort to like reach out that the gener generational disconnect is, you know, broken down and there is more trust there when mm -hmm. 
there's a conscious effort. I think it's really important. And students remember that because she was obviously like very important to me and in my, in, in my life. So. Oh, I love that mm-hmm. social emotional learning example. And I love how it is like, sometimes it is just talking about mundane stuff in life. Like social emotional learning here doesn't mean like we're going to have a deep question every single day that like gets at how you're feeling in a really personal way. Sometimes it is like you said, do you like your sandwich cut straight across or diagonal? And then just seeing where conversation goes. Um, I think, I think that's helpful what you provided. So it doesn't always feel like, Ooh, can we go, can we go on a really personal level always? Sometimes it's just building relationship through, do silly or lighthearted things too. Um, okay. So you all have, have really key adults in your life. Um, besides turning to them or to friends, like you've mentioned, what are the activities that you do yourself when you're feeling stressed or you're feeling anxious or you're feeling down or whatever the emotion is, you don't necessarily have to describe that, um, or the mental health state is, you, you can mention if you want, but I'm more concerned about those activities that you find helpful. For me, I really like to write. That's something that um, I learned is a good tool for me through like therapy. Um, just being able to get things out of your head and kind of onto an external place um, in different ways, like even just talking to someone and then you feel like it doesn't have to just be in your head anymore. But definitely journaling has started to help me um even though I don't do as much as I probably should um I really like to journal I also kind of when I'm feeling down that's kind of when I feel like I turn and like look at myself and I'm like okay what do I like to do because all the things I do I'm a very extroverted person so everything I do is like let's do something that my friends want to do let me do something with my friends let me do something with my dad and then when I kind of lose all my energy and I'm not feeling great that's when I'm finally okay what do I like to do um so a lot of times I like to read like I said I like to write um I just like to sit outside it makes me feel better or just go on walks by myself listen to music like Mercer said um things like that oh those are all wonderful what about you Mercer um I also like to you know figure out what I like to do um so recently, since I've gotten my license, it's been driving around. Um, I don't know if that's just because I got my license or I really like to do it, but I like hiking. I like being outside a lot. That helps me um, kind of connect, I guess, in nature that way. But first I have to like distinguish, like, is this problem that I'm having like within my control or is it without like not within my control. So if it's like within my control, I like to be isolated and alone and kind of fit, process my feelings and emotions. And then if it's out of my control, I tend to like distract myself through like hanging out with friends. Um, so it, it just depends on what, what problems I have that day or that week or whatever's on my mind. Just a quick break to give a shout out. Springtide is able to offer this podcast because of donors who make our research and actionable insights possible. Mark, a youth mentor, recently wrote us to say, I highly recommend Springtide Research Institute to anyone who works with youth. 
Whether you're a teacher, minister, social worker, or a parent, understanding the experiences of the young people you work with is vital. Loneliness, isolation, anxiety, and stress all make it harder for a young person to learn and thrive in a healthy manner. Applying this research will be the launch pad toward effective change. You can see more of our current findings on our website, springtideresearch.org, where you can also make your own tax-deductible donation with a variety of giving options. Now, back to the episode. You already mentioned both um, people at your school that, that are really helpful, which I feel like connects so well with our connections aspect in our research, because um, that's one of the, the driving themes that is going to appear throughout this whole mental health and Gen Z series is connections. The second is expectations. And the third is purpose. You can get so much more uh, on the, the data in each of our separate reports, but in our educators reports specifically, um, I'm curious about expectations. Are there expectations in your schools that you feel like are helpful for your mental health? And then I also want to know, do you feel like there's expectations that sometimes are more harmful when it comes to your mental health? So let's, let's hear about helpful first expectations that cultivate a positive mental health experience. Um, for me at my school, um, I think there's an expectation particular, not necessarily an expectation, but an encouragement to learn about not just like standard curriculum, but things you're really passionate about. Um, so that's through like a lot of teachers will do like personal projects just about yourself or something you're interested in. Um, recently, the way that I was able to do a project on mental health is my school does an experiential learning course. So you get to choose whatever you want to learn about and then do a project on it of awesome. your choice. So yeah, that was really cool for me. And just something I feel like my school emphasizes and something I know that one of the teachers said to one of my friends once that I thought was very impactful was like, um, if you, if it's something you care about, then you deserve to learn about it. So I think that's helpful in the way that my school not necessarily strays from standard curriculum, but um, gives you the chance to pursue what you're interested in if you want to take that chance. Yeah, no, that's a really neat opportunity. I'm, I love the ways mm -hmm. that you really built your own passions and interests mm -hmm. into that. I didn't know that's what helps drive that, that projects you did. That's really cool. Mm -hmm. Mercer. Yeah. Do you have a, an example of where your school uses expectations in a way that helps your mental health? Yeah, I would say along with grace, like our school really encourages us to get involved in different clubs. And we have like so many clubs that gear towards whatever you're interested in. And so um, they really encourage us to try new things um, and get involved. And I think that creates new relationships and new experiences, which I think is healthy because otherwise you wouldn't know about them. And then specifically in one class that I have, we're always encouraged to listen with the intent to understand not to respond. And so I think that that's really helpful and kind of offered a new perspective for me. 
to talk a little less and listen more. Oh, that's great. This is a great philosophy that can apply to so much. Think of how many adults, if they were learning that skill in high school, how different <laughs> conversations and their, and their skills would be. I, I really love that. Okay. Let's hear about things that maybe where expectations can be more harmful. I think, oh, Grace, do you want to go? Um, you can go. <laughs> um, I don't think it's just my school. Um, I think it's kind of across all schools and all high schoolers, but it's very strongly encouraged that there's a one-way solution, which is most oftentimes a four-year college degree. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that that can be harmful, um, the yeah. one path to success or happiness is a college degree, which doesn't work for everyone. <laughs> Totally. totally. And the, the pressure or the, like, you're not being successful if that's not the path you're, you're looking towards, or you're not held up sometimes as like the model student, the ideal student, if that's not in your trajectory. Um, I think that's really important to highlight. Thank you, Mercer. Grace, mm-hmm. do you have something in that realm? Yeah, definitely. I completely agree with what Mercer said about colleges because then like in schools a lot of kids aren't taught about what their options are um if college doesn't feel right for them and so I feel like that would bring up a lot of anxiety but also um what I was thinking of um is I feel like a lot of schools kind of have this expectation of like always do your best always do your best but it's not do your personal best it's kind of be the best Mm -hmm. um so like if you're acing your classes, like you're doing good in a certain class, then take a harder one. You should be taking a harder one. If you're doing um, really bad in the class, then you're not trying hard enough and things like that. And I feel like a lot of times um, teachers, um, and this is not to discredit the teachers at my school. I love the teachers at my school. But yeah, sometimes a lot of teachers don't see the overlap in academics, in your personal life or your mental health and how that could affect it like um, not being able to turn in assignments or just like being really negatively affected by um, academic pressure and seeing how that would affect your academic performance, but not really taking that into account. Just always thinking you can always work harder. You know, you can always do more and things like that. I feel like that just builds a lot of pressure that causes more anxiety because in some ways it can be encouraging, but in other ways it's kind of like, Oh my God, for a lot of people. I hear that. I totally hear that, that pressure. I, I've worked in high schools. I worked in middle schools and I am like flashing back to different messages where I've seen, I've seen that be detrimental for students where they feel like when they are trying their hardest, it's not seen as it's not honored as that it's seen as, um, they're, they're slacking in, in some way or they're failing in some way. And of course that is going to have ramifications on, on, on self-esteem and different mental health um, realities as well. So you both are so wise and bringing a lot of really poignant examples into the conversation. Uh, I mentioned that purpose is uh, the third driving theme that will emerge throughout our mental health series And in that regard, I'm wondering, is there something that you, either of you connect to that's bigger than yourself that could be a cause or a movement, Um, you know, 
just the sense of like, there's something bigger than you being the world or the universe or a higher power. It could be a community. Does, if you could share one of those connections and whether that sense of purpose has an impact on your mental health. Um, I think for me, definitely. Um, I kind of saw a shift in my mental health from going to a really, really large school than a really, really small school. Because the school I go to now is kind of what I love about it is being able to like, you're not just a number, your voice is being heard and taken into account. Um, and I think in the past year, not as much my sophomore year, but this past year, I really like enjoyed kind of finding a purpose and a passion within, like I said, mental health. Um, the project that I did, um, being able to talk to different students in my school on a more personal level about their mental health and report that and kind of work hand in hand with my school administration to um, try and take mental health more into account. Wow. Yeah, it's things like that where you kind of feel like you're actually, not that you're actually doing something, but feeling like there's something you're working towards and something you want. And if you feel like you can help, that's something that's really impacted me because a lot of times, and I know other people have thought like this, like, I'm like, oh, I'm just a kid. I can't do anything. But you can help in small ways, for sure. Even at just, like, my small high school, even just, like, scratching the surface of being able to slowly start more conversations about mental health has possibly impacted my own mental health. I love that you felt like your teachers or administrators would take you seriously and really... Mm-hmm listen to to your project and to the perspectives that you gathered and that it that you feel like yeah I'm having having an impact here and because that is such a passion for you I can totally see how that driving sense of purpose um Mm -hmm. would positively impact your mental health and it just so happens that the the greater purpose there is mental health but I think um even if it was a different project just that that you felt like really heard and that Mm -hmm. you were helping to drive change. I can see that yielding a lot of, of just like, I matter here. I matter in this community and my voice and perspective is taken seriously. So Mm -hmm. kudos to those administrators who, who are listening well to, to young people. Definitely. Um, I also definitely agree. Like I want what I'm doing and my actions to, I want to see that it's helping others. And that's my kind of purpose, I guess, is whatever I'm doing, whatever higher power I'm serving, I want it to be bigger than myself, if that makes sense. So whether that be through different, like we have, I'm an interactive club at my school and that's a lot of community outreach and help within the community. Um, then there's also community outreach admissions through my church and just different things. So I get like, I get joy and happiness and like, I feel good when I do these things. And so I want to give that to other people. I want other people to feel the same joy and love and opportunity so by community outreach and serving something bigger than myself I feel like 
my biggest purpose, I think. Like, I feel like it's served. I feel like I'm doing good. Yeah. And that's really cool that both your school and your faith community have aspects that lead to that. Um, some people, you know, don't even have necessarily one space where they feel like they're able to offer that. So the fact that you have multiple, you know, communities where you feel like I get to give back, I get to support others. I get to feel like I'm looking out, not just for myself, but for what, um, other needs are in, in my school, in my town, in my church and, and all of those places surrounding. So I, I really am encouraged to hear that. Do you, um, do either of you feel like there's something very particular about how Gen Z thinks about mental health that is different? I know you both mentioned that you feel like you get messages in different ways than other generations, but is there even something about the ways that you all process the mental health conversation that sets you apart? Obviously, the more we talk about something and the more conversation there is around something, a topic, this one being mental health, the more comfortable the community becomes with it and talking about it. And so I think talking about it lets everyone know like, oh my gosh, this person's having the same problem that I am. This person's having the same struggles in their life. And I think when there's, when you're scared to talk about it, 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 is pushed down in a way. And so I think historically, yes, there has been a lack of conversation around mental health, but I think that the more you talk about it, the more we all realize that we're all experiencing the same issues just on a different level and a different spectrum in reality, if that makes sense. Totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I completely agree with what you said because I was going to say something similar. Like, I feel like our generation definitely talks about it more and is more comfortable talking about it. I was going to say, in my own life, like with people my age and specifically my group of friends, I think for me, if I didn't have friends who were so openly talking about like their mental health and what they would need to do, I would have never felt comfortable reaching out for the options that I've needed like medication or therapy um because when I first started going to therapy I thought that was like crazy because I didn't know anyone else who did and then having people my age who would say they did the same things or they needed the same thing um and like good for you um I think it does help to destigmatize and mental health I mean obviously there's still a long way to go but also just being able to feel like kind of like what Marissa said I'm not the only one who struggles with this um, it's very helpful for anyone. Getting things just out in the open, normalizing it through, through conversations. I mean, that is the goal, a lot of this whole podcast season. So you both are Mm -hmm. helping drive that even further with, with anyone who's listening that, um, two, two young people who live in different parts of the country and who don't even necessarily know each other that well yet, since our ambassadors program is just kind of getting off the ground for this year. Um, when we recorded this episode, we're still willing to, to talk about this subject, um, with, with some helpful authenticity, um, knowing that your experiences aren't isolated and the ways that you all encounter this is similar to not only to one another, but to so many other 
16-year-olds and 17-year-olds like yourselves across the country. If you were doing this interview and we flipped it around and um, you were offering the questions, is there something else that you would want to bring into the conversation that hasn't been, been mentioned today? Another question or topic? So I'm really curious about like, if there's a generational disconnect now and there's things that my generation is struggling with and is just now beginning to, you know, touch the surface on issues like mental health. I'm curious as to what problems and issues are going to like to cycle for my children, if that makes sense. It sounds weird, not children, but the next generation. So yeah, I, I do struggle reaching out to older people um, like my, like maybe my parents or, I mean, I have before, but it's not my first instinct, I guess. Um, but I love my parents, nothing, nothing like that, but I just, it's different. So yeah, the question I would ask is like, what do you want to do to make sure that doesn't happen for the next generation or kind of make the next generation feel more comfortable about the conversation around mental health? Because I think everyone wants their emotions and feelings validated um, to like say, Hey, it's okay to feel this way. Um, everyone wants that like human relationship. And I think that talking about it is super helpful. So, you know, just what would you do to break the cycle? I guess. Yeah. I, I think that question is, is why we do so much of our research and why this is our commitment in 2022 and extending into 2023 that we want to make sure that there are trusted adults who are doing their work, um, not only for their own mental well-being, but also their work to support um, Gen Z. So, while you said it's not always your first instinct to turn to adults, that's, that's not a isolated experience. Um, and so what can trusted adults do to show that they're, that they have your back? Um, not just you specifically Mercer, but, but young people across the board, um, as well. So yeah, your, your question drives at our, our why of, of this whole series for sure. The reason that I think it has been such a daunting topic for so long is because we don't focus on like a maintenance of it. It's just, we only talk about it when it's bad, when it gets rough. And I think that celebrating the good more often and focusing on keeping a steady watch on our mental health makes it less scary and easier um, rather than just let's talk about it when it's bad. Let's talk about it when things are you know, rough. I think that focusing it, focusing on it like a maintenance, like we would our bodies, our physical health is just as important. So that's, I think, I think that's what makes it less scary. Yeah. Can I add something onto that? Because I completely agree. I love talking about stuff like that. Um, I feel like specifically, because I'm not about like schools, um, like Mercer said, like things aren't really discussed regarding mental health until they're really bad 
or until you're like completely burnt out you can't function anymore and i think that's part of why like i think that needs to change majorly in like institutions especially schools with young people is putting in measures to support students on like a preventative level rather than just responsive so having things having aspects like counselors and places to sit and like I don't know, just like little things to help students before they have to reach the point of a crisis to prevent those things is really important. Oh, man, y'all set up our research so well with that input, because that is ultimately the goal of what our our research through the mental health series is trying to accomplish is how can organizations and institutions be more proactive instead of only having mental health be this crisis response that comes when it's it's a dire situation. We we still want crisis response in there. We're not saying to eliminate that, but we're saying how can you shift cultures in your organization so that you're creating a more mental health friendly space from the get go. So you all mm-hmm. said that so well that really tees up. Our, our whole goal for this mental health and Gen Z series. So thank you for that added perspective. I feel like kind of like we've touched on the best thing that like adults can do and can continue to do to make young people feel more comfortable talking about mental health um, and opening up about it is just opening up themselves and not necessarily having to be vulnerable, but like I guess delving into your own life and being personal on that level kind of begins to, I guess, take away the feeling of a power imbalance between two people, like between like school teachers and students when teachers begin to talk about their own lives and even just like things that don't matter, like small things, like what Mercer was saying with like her group that was talking about like how you cut your sandwiches and things like that just being able to get personal and show that you care about students or young people as people and respecting that is kind of, I feel like what begins to make them feel comfortable enough to open up and have the conversations that they need to have. Totally. I mean, what you both said points so much to Springtide's research. It makes me think of our, our 2020 um, report about relational authority. And that's really what you two are, are describing, um, is, is these are, we have five different components. People can dig into that research if, if they want, there's, you can even get that report free, the, the digital version on our website, but those components of relational authority is, is how you build trust and, and connection. And you two are, you're describing that in your own words in, in such simple, but actually profound ways. So I, I'm really grateful for that. I think um, that's, that sets up our listeners well to think about what type of environments they're creating and nurturing for the young people that they serve um, and, and really making mental health a priority in all of those spaces, making those environments more mental health friendly. So thank you for everything you both offered today. It's been so fun to listen to you both and connect in this way. And I know our audience is going to get a lot. 
Visit springtideresearch.org to hear more voices of young people and to learn about the latest research and resources available in our mental health and Gen Z series. Springtide Research Institute is supported by donors who believe in the critical research and insight generating work we do on behalf of young people. Make your own tax-deductible donation with a variety of giving options on our website today. Be sure to follow us on social media at We Are Springtide and interact with the resources in the Springtide series on mental health by using the hashtag Mental Health and Gen Z. Today's show was produced by Marta Abouaji. The audio was mixed by Andy Palmer with original music created by high school student Christian Unthink. Special thanks to the 16 guests featured in season seven and to all the young people whose perspectives and insights make our research possible. Thank you for listening.